0: Josh, thank you for that intro, as sarcastic as it was. (laughs) I have seen my body transformed uh, quite a bit since Maya was born, in one way. Um, It's really good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I'm here preaching today because it's daylight saving time, Uh, also the beginning of spring break, Uh, so... Uh, if you're not going out of town this week, and you are going out of town next week, don't worry I will be preaching next Sunday as well, so uh, <laughs> um, Like uh, Was it Drew uh, like Drew was saying uh, Mike and Tammy Rogers and Maddie are with us today. Uh, it's really good to see them um, If you don't know he arranged all of our music. I don't know what that means, but uh, if it wasn't for you our music would be unarranged, so uh, We're thankful for you Mike. It's good to see you um, Well, uh, I am here uh, today to preach on Matthew 17, the transfiguration. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that this has been one of the harder sermons that I feel like I've had to study for and I feel like it's gonna be harder to give uh, just because it's just such a weird uh, thing that happened uh, to Jesus, such a weird thing in the Bible. And he doesn't really give any kind of explanation for what happened or why it happened or how it happened. Um, And so there's just a lot of things that a lot of people have said and written about this. Um, And some people will say, well, I think it means this. And I think that this is what it's about. And I think this is why he did it. Um, And but nobody just really knows for sure. Like nothing's like completely uh, accepted about it. And so I just preface all this to say, I'm just another guy who has some ideas about what it all means. Um, So... um, I'm just going to ask for the Lord's help today uh, that he would guide us into the truth and what he wants to say through uh, this word <clears throat> Holy Spirit uh, we pray that you would come and that you would reveal Jesus to us this morning We pray that uh, we would see him as high and lifted up just let us fall more in love with him and be more in awe of his beauty. Uh, As we leave this place today, help me in my words. I pray that you would just guide me, uh, fill me with your spirit, and uh, fill all of us as we just seek to receive from you and to see your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, a little bit of background. Am I loud right now? Do I sound like extra loud? Sound good? Okay. Um, A little bit of background. Uh, last week, Terry preached on Matthew chapter 16 for us and uh, gave us a lot of really cool things out of that chapter about the gates of Hades and uh, Jesus defeating Satan and us defeating Satan and the gates of hell, not overcoming the church. and It's uh, a really, really good word. Um, after that, and the rest of Matthew 16, uh, you know, there, what, what uh, Terry was talking about is Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, right? And Jesus tells him, Peter, because of this confession, because of that revelation from the Father, um, uh, I'm just totally blanking on what he said to him. It was something really good. Uh, he said, You know, you are the rock, right, upon which I build my church, right? That confession. Uh, so that was really good for Peter, and he's feeling really good. Uh, and so Jesus, right after that, says, By the way, I'm also going to die. They're going to crucify me, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Uh, And Peter, like I said, still feeling probably pretty good about himself, um, about uh, the confession he just made and, you know, being the rock. Uh, He says, no way, Jesus, absolutely not. I will never let you die. And then Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. He went from rock to Satan in about five minutes. Uh, So Peter was put right back in his place. And so Jesus, right after that, goes on to tell his disciples that, hey, the way of the Messiah is actually um, denying yourself and dying to yourself and taking up your cross and following the Messiah. Um, And so he goes on right after that. Uh, If you're with us, go to Matthew 17. uh, And the last verse of Matthew 16, it's kind of going to be our transition. In Matthew 16, 28, he makes this weird statement. And he says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before the son before seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It's kind of odd, uh, very like apocalyptic. And so uh, Jesus says, Some of you here won't taste death before seeing the Son of Man come in his kingdom. And then right after that, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Okay. There's the sum right there. And so uh, this is what they saw. He led them up a high mountain by themselves, and there he was transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before him uh, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. All right, so this amazing thing is happening. Uh, up on this mountain before the disciples. Now, when I when I read this, and I'm not sensing like a whole ton of I didn't hear any like audible gasps, right? Uh, but this is an amazing thing. But our problem is that we've heard it like six, seven, eight, like a bajillion times, right? We're just like, yeah, Jesus glows sometimes, sometimes he walks through walls, like it's just it's just Jesus, that's what he does. But to the disciples, they have never seen anything like this before. The disciples. They've seen Jesus do some amazing things. They've seen him you know, multiply bread, turn water to wine. They've seen him heal some people and stuff like that. But they've never seen Jesus glow. They've never seen his face shine up on the mountain. They've never seen uh, him standing with uh, people they presume to be dead, like Moses and Elijah. And so the disciples sitting here and seeing Jesus in this way, they are probably a little bit more amazed than we are as we're reading this passage again. And there's something cool um, <clears throat> to, to point out about the word that is used. I don't know, I'm, this is another thing I don't know. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a lot of the things that I don't know today. But I don't know why we call it transfigured. Um, whenever we talk about this passage, I don't, don't know any other place where anybody ever uses that word about anything, even in the Bible. Uh, but the word just simply means to be transformed. Uh, the word is actually uh, metamorpho. Does that sound familiar? It's the same word that we use in English. It's where we get the word in English, metamorphosis. It's what we use to describe a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And so, and I think it's a good word to describe what is happening to Jesus, probably, is Jesus is being just completely transformed into this beautiful form that they have never seen before, something that's heavenly, something that's amazing, something that's glorious. And so I think it's a good description of, like, what happens to a caterpillar, you know, to a butterfly is probably good. And so my point is that Jesus... And the disciples are seeing Jesus, like, upgraded right now. They're looking at Jesus, and they're like, Oh, we've seen, you know, this carpenter's son uh, go out and preach some good sermons and do some miracles, but this is far beyond anything we've ever seen before. This guy is even greater than we thought. This is Jesus 2.0. This is uh, super Jesus. But what the disciples didn't yet know at this point is that this Jesus that they're looking at is actually normal Jesus. This isn't a new and improved Jesus. What The Jesus that they've known, actually, the entire time that they've known him for about three years or so now, is actually a very unusual Jesus. The Jesus that is probably pretty still new and unfamiliar for him. Uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. <clears throat> See, this is actually Jesus' second transformation, okay? His first transformation was the one described in Philippians 2, 5-7. It's uh, Paul talking about Jesus' humility and how we're supposed to model after him. He says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that word form is actually morphe, which is related to the word Jesus' metamorphosis, his change. He said, he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born the likeness of men. And so uh, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus actually started out as this transfigured form. This transformed, glorious, beaming, shining like the sun form is actually what Jesus started out as. But what happened was he came down to earth and took on the form of a servant, the form of a slave, meaning the form of a man. He was born as a baby in a manger on earth, right? That was actually his first transformation. And so when Jesus is being transformed yet back, whenever we're seeing him on the mountain, he's actually being transformed back into uh, what he originally was, all right? And the Bible tells us that this is actually who he has always been since the beginning of time. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, God, all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, Jesus has had the shining, glowing, brilliance of the sun thing going on ever since the world was created. This is who he is. He has always existed this way. This is the eternal Son of God that they are seeing on earth the mountain that day why is this important because we need that Jesus you see up to this point they've known Jesus as a friend they've known Jesus as a good teacher they've known Jesus even as a miracle worker and a healer and a reformer of their religion but they have up to this point have never known Jesus as God and we the reason I'm making a big deal about this is we have to know that Jesus is God. This supreme, shining, magnificent, beautiful, awe-inspiring, sovereign being is who Jesus really is in his greatest essence. It's who he is in his truest form. This is really who he is. A lot of times, thank God, you know, he sent his son to earth to be an example for us, to show us uh, the image of the Father, but in the grand scheme of things, that's Jesus for a very short period of time. This is who Jesus really is. He is the sovereign, beautiful Son of God. And we have to know this because so much of the world is satisfied and actually way more comfortable with just having a good teacher, Jesus, or with just having a good example, Jesus, or even just having a heal me, healer, miracle worker Jesus. But the point is, is we really need the God Jesus. We need the supreme Jesus. We need the one who, through whom and for whom and by whom all things were made. We need the pre-existent, pre-incarnate son of God to be in our lives. And we need to see him as that. This is really good. And you guys, this is the best part of the sermon. So if you're going to amen, this is the part. It doesn't, the rest is not as good. We need God Jesus. We don't just need a good teacher. We don't need a good example. We don't need to tell somebody how to be good or teach us um, how to be a better person. We need God. We need a Savior. And it doesn't work if he was just a man or just a good teacher who died the death of a slave being tortured on a cross. We need this Jesus. God Jesus. The God-man Jesus Christ. Like I said, this is the be- that's the best I got. <laughs> I love, um, <clears throat> Peter knows. Learn from Peter, okay? This is what Peter says. Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Right? He goes on and he says, uh, if you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He says, I'll put up three tents for you guys. Um, and this is another thing I'm reading and I'm like, what's with the tents? Like what, you see Jesus up there glowing, his face is shining like the sun and Peter's like, I'll get the tent. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and so, uh, you know, did some reading and, you know, some people think that it's referring to the Feast of Tabernacles to the old, in the Old Testament where they you know, celebrated and remembered the time where they were, you know, moving around in the wilderness. And other people think, well, you know, the, the tabernacle is the same word for the, the, the tent that held God's presence in the Old Testament when they moved around the desert and all that stuff. I was like, eh, I don't know, maybe. But I like what Luke says in his gospel, because Luke goes and he just says, Peter said all this stuff, let us build you three tents. And then Luke says, he said this because he didn't know what he was saying. And I am just going to say that I prob- I'm okay with not knowing why he, said, did, why he wanted to build the tents, because I think Peter didn't even know why he wanted to build the tents. Um, I think, and I think it's Mark who says, let me build you these tents. He said this because he didn't know what he was saying, because he was afraid. And we just kind of say some dumb things when we get afraid <laughs> sometimes. Uh, it's kind of actually sound, when, actually when I read this, it, I, it's really reminiscent with me. It makes me think about all my times talking to women from, like, age, you know, 12 to 22. Just didn't know what I was saying because I was afraid. Uh, but thank goodness my good lucks were enough to, to find a beautiful Hispanic woman to marry me. Um, but, no, now I have to share another story. Um, this is probably my favorite story of somebody uh, not knowing what they were saying. Uh, <laughs> uh, our good friend Peyton... Uh, is a big basketball fan. And uh, one day he was out uh, with his lovely wife Alex at a restaurant, and a Mavericks player walked in. Uh, and he saw this guy, and he's like, oh my gosh, like starstruck. Um, I would not recognize a single basketball player, maybe LeBron James, but I, I literally would not recognize any basketball player ever. Uh, but they love basketball. And so uh, this guy walks in, and Peyton goes up and works out the courage to go talk to the guy. He's like, you know, just had some conversation, you know, said a couple things. And guy's like, okay, thanks, you know. Um, But the guy, a little bit later, gets up to walk off and leave. And Peyton's just, i got to say something. And so he just raises his hand up and says, love you, man. (laughs) Just doesn't get any better than that. We just say things, you know. We just, we just say stuff whenever we're afraid or whenever we just, we just don't know what we're saying. And so that, that's what Peter, that's what's going on with Peter and the disciples right now. They're afraid. They don't really understand, so they're just saying some goofy stuff. But there's one thing that Peter said that I think was, was spot on. And that's when he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let me tell you, Peter was right about that. You know, Jesus could, you ever thought about that, that, this part of it, is that Jesus, what role did Peter and James and John play in Jesus being transformed up there? Nothing. They weren't helping that happen in any way. They didn't, he didn't need them for that in any way. I would recommend, I would say that this was actually for them. You see, Peter and James and John, they have been with Jesus uh, up to this point, point kind of being uh, following along and being a part of a pretty successful ministry. Jesus has been going around. He's been healing people. He's been preaching great sermons, drawing big crowds. People really love him at this point, and he still has tons of people coming out to see him and listen to his messages and be healed and all that. People really like him. But we're about to turn the page, and real soon Jesus is going to turn his eyes towards Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, This popular teacher who people can't get enough of, that that love him, and come by the thousands to see him, they're all about to turn on him and leave him. He's going to be put on a mock trial. He's going to be condemned. And he's going to be tortured and die a slave's death on a cross. Let me tell you, that's probably disheartening for your closest followers. And so these guys are about to witness that, and I would propose that Jesus is bringing them up here so that they can see this because they need to see this. They need to know that this Jesus, the one they just confessed as the Christ, that he truly is who he said he was. He truly is the Son of God, despite, because nobody could even fathom this happening to the Messiah. Nobody could, especially nobody could fathom this happening to the Son of God. And so even with everything the disciples had seen, they needed probably something a little bit more to lock in who Jesus was in their hearts. So it was good for them to be there. And I just want to say this. I won't, I won't like waste a whole lot of time on this, but I think it needs to be said, is there are deeper experiences with Jesus in which he reveals himself to us in ways that he has not prior. There are mountaintop, he will excuse the figure of speech, there are mountaintop experiences with God to be had. Things happen. You see, Jesus was going around with all of his disciples. You know, Jesus kind of had circles, right? He had the crowds who gathered him in the thousands to be healed, to witness miracles, to hear sermons, things like that. And then he had an even smaller circle of his 12 disciples of, they didn't just hear the sermons and see the miracles, but Jesus said to you guys, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been revealed, right? They're just closer to Jesus. It's more intimate. There's more revelation. But then you got even these three guys. Notice it's only these three, not the 12, Peter, James, and John. And this is one of several times where Jesus comes to show these guys something that's things that are even more special, things that are even more amazing, He only brought these three whenever he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He only brings these three whenever he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here they are right now, the only ones getting to see him transfigured. And what I want to propose is that Jesus, the longer you stay with him and the closer you stay to him, the more amazing things that you will see. Now, I'm not saying that If you get closer to Jesus, he's going to appear before you and transfigure, and you'll get to see his shiny face, and that's kind of like the mark of, like, the real Christian. I have never known anybody who's ever had that kind of experience, okay? But what I am saying is there is this normal life, this normal walk with Jesus that's every day where we seek him, where we wake up, and we read our Bibles, and we pray, and we go along walking in his presence throughout the day, and we get to experience the joy and the freedom and the contentment that comes from that, And that is good, and that is what God wants for us, and that's the good life with Jesus. But I'm also saying that every now and then, Jesus just does this thing where he'll show up and reveal himself in a bigger, deeper way than we have previously known him. And this doesn't happen every day. Three guys saw one transfiguration, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that they didn't say, oh, this is weird. Or they didn't say, oh, this is scary. Well, they did whenever God started talking, but Jesus said, don't be afraid. But they didn't say, oh, this is scary. This is weird. We shouldn't be here. This is not what we're used to. This is not normal. They said, it's good for us to be here. And I think that they were right. Don't be afraid of these deeper experiences where we re- Jesus reveals himself to us in, in a bigger way than what, we've, than what has been our normal. And this looks different for everybody. Jesus' relationship it, God is like a father, and he is just like a father with his kids, and that he has different relationships with each of his kids. We interact with, I, don't, I only have one kid right now, but I know parents interact with different kids in different ways, and they relate to them in different ways. And so God isn't going to work in the same way in these things with all of us, but God does these things. He may speak to you in an audible voice. He may speak to you in an internal voice that's so loud that it might as well be audible. Sometimes God touches people and you can they physically feel his presence. The warmth and the kindness of his love just overshadow people and just cause them to burst into tears. And it's this real healing thing. And other things, I can keep on going, but there are deeper experiences with Jesus that are available and they happen when we are seeking hard after him, and they are good things. Okay? It's good for us to be there in those moments. All right. That's all I'm going to say about that. I told you the last part was the really good part, and the rest of it is not as good. <clears throat> so Peter is all excited, and he's like, it's really good for us to be here. I'm going to be at the tents. And then all of a sudden, it turns very not fun. In verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. And you know, when they heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, it was only Jesus. But God speaks up here from the cloud. And I want to make just a quick side note on this. It's really beautiful how God comes and does this. Uh, You guys remember the last time that God spoke from the cloud like this in the book of Matthew? It's when Jesus is baptized. And then he gets up and he goes on to minister in Galilee and does this really big, awesome, successful ministry that everybody loves, right, we just talked about. Well, here comes God again and he says the same thing. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. And he's about to go into the darkest part of his earthly life and be rejected and crucified. And I don't think that's accidental. And this is something that you have to know about the love of the Father, is that it's consistent, despite your circumstances. Jesus is about to face the worst stuff he's ever seen, the worst stuff that anybody will ever see. And God's proclamation over him is the same. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. Of course he loves him. Of course he's always pleased with him. Well, this is what it means to be in Christ. Christ. What it means to be in Christ, at least partially, is that we are in him. And so whenever God the Father looks at you and looks at me, he sees, in a way, Jesus. And his pleasure over Jesus, we get to be actually recipients of that. God looks at me, and he loves me, and he's pleased with me, not because of my performance. This is the gospel. Not because of my performance or what I do or my works, but simply because of Jesus Christ. Because I'm in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, there are things in our life like God is not pleased whenever I look at porn or whenever I cheat or whenever I, uh, you, know, you know, lie or anything like that. He's not pleased with those things. But you have to understand that even in the midst of those things, God is still pleased and in love with you because you are in Christ. Some, somebody in here, I think, needs to hear this today. No matter what your circumstances are around you, Whatever thing you're going through, these things that are bad in our lives are not any more indicators of God's love for us than when things are good in our life. Whether you're in a really happy place today or, whenever, or whether you're in a really bad, dark place today, God loves you. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, he is favorably inclined towards you because of Jesus and Jesus alone, if not for anything else. Okay. <clears throat> Last thing I want to mention about God's voice, uh, this really cool thing. One of the things that a lot of people are convinced of about the transfiguration is that um, there's a big connection probably to what happened to Moses whenever he went up to the mountain, back whenever he received the law. And so um, I got a slide here about that. There's a lot in common. So there's like six days is the time frame. There's a cloud. God's voice comes from the cloud. There's three people with him. Um, there's a transformation. You know, there's you know, the glowing and stuff like that. And then when people see it, they're afraid. And so there's a lot of connections there. Um, and then whenever you pair this with something really cool and really important that Moses said that the disciples were probably very aware of and almost every Israelite was probably very aware of, it's really neat. Um, look at this. This is something that Moses said whenever he came back from, down from the mountain. In Deuteronomy... Moses makes this prophecy. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now, if they're right, and that this transfiguration was in big part like something that God was doing to make us think, oh, this thing that's happening to Jesus is like the thing that happened to Moses on the mountain, he must be like Moses. Look at the very end right here and what he says. He says, you must listen to him. Does that sound familiar? It's the same thing that the Father said at the top of the mountain with Jesus here. He says, you must listen to him. You see, Jesus is the new Moses. Whenever Moses came down from the mountain, he came with the law. He came with the way that God was going to relate with his people This is over and over again in the Old Testament. If you want a relationship with Yahweh, you follow this book. You live this way. You keep the rules. If you break the rules, your relationship with Yahweh is broken. If you keep the rules, your your relationship with Yahweh is whole. And this is what the people were supposed to do. They were supposed to abide abide, abide by this way of relating to Yahweh. And that's the law that Moses came down with. But now... This is a transition. This is a turning of the page. This is a changing of the guard. Jesus is now coming down from the mountain, and he is the new one to listen to. He is the new Moses. He is the one. He's going to be the new way that people relate to God. It's no longer going to be through a book. It's no longer going to be through a set of rules. It's going to be through a person. It's going to be through a man, the God-man who's standing before them. Jesus is being authorized by the Father as the new way that, we, that the people are going to relate with God. And let me tell you, it's better. And this isn't just like a neat little Bible verse nugget, okay? This changes everything for us. If you go on, um, I want to take us to um, one last place before we close. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 if you have your Bibles. Um, <clears throat> Starting in verse 7, Paul is going to lay out the significance of this change in relationship. It says, Now if, that, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? He's talking about how Moses, whenever he gave them the law, his face would glow, right? And he was saying that was glorious. And he was bringing a ministry of condemnation, following the law and failing repeatedly over and over and over again. And he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For in what was glorious, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts? Therefore, we have, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for, this, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. All right, if you've zoned out during all that, start listening now, okay? But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And listen to this. And we all, who with unveiled faces, beholding the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you guys catch the word there? Transformed. See, this is a very rare word, actually, in the New Testament. It's four times only, two times to describe Jesus being transformed, and one of the other two is right here. It's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about you. He says, beholding the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. From glory to glory. Do you think that Paul was maybe, maybe thinking about the transfiguration whenever he was writing this? Transformed glory. He is thinking about this, using the same word. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus, about walking with him. This is what separates Christianity from everything else is that Jesus, all the essence of religion is God is up here and we're right here and you do your best to get up there. But Jesus started here, transformed to come here so that we could be transformed up here. I say this all the time, but it's just because it's good. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men could become sons of God. He took on, being in the form of God, took on the form of a slave so that slaves could take on the form of God. That is what Jesus has done for us. And he says that the result of it is when we are beholding the Lord's glory, we we ourselves, like Jesus, are being transformed from glory to glory. What the heck does that mean? It means he's making us more beautiful. It means he is making us more like him. He is taking us from being bitter to being grateful. He's taking us from being weak to being powerful. He's taking us from being wicked to being lovely. He's making us just look more. I'm speculating right now on what that means, but here's what I do know for a fact of what it means, is it says we're being transformed into his same image. Whatever that means, that's what we're getting, is Jesus, as we are beholding him, we are being transformed into his same image and looking like him. And that's amazing. I'm not hearing very many amens. Okay, Uh, that's fine. I don't need it. Uh, But here, some of us, this might be why, some of us may feel like, I don't feel very glorious. I don't feel like I'm moving from glory to glory. I don't even think I started at glory. I think I'm somewhere else. Well, let me. There's a way that it works, right? There's a formula here. I'm not big on formulas, but there's one here. And it says that we are transformed into his image when we do something. And it says, as we are beholding the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. You see, Jesus does, this is, this is a big part of what Christianity is, okay? Like, Jesus does what he does, and we do what we do, okay? Here's what Jesus does, okay? He's eternal. He speaks things out of nothing, creates matter out of nothing, which, like, scientifically we can't comprehend. He plans everything out by his sovereign purpose. He comes as God, turns into a man, becomes a baby, lives a perfect life, raises people from the dead. He dies, raises from the dead, and one day he's going to come back and make all things perfect good again in the world he's going to come make everything perfect wipe away everybody's tears and he is going to rule forever that's what Jesus does and here's what we do we behold him that's what we do okay but we do have to do that he's doing his job we just have to do our job we are beholding his glory and if you haven't been feeling like you've been going from glory to glory, if you feel like you are not, it just doesn't feel like it describes you, let me ask you, what have you been beholding? Are you beholding the news? Are you beholding Russia? Are you beholding the, your stocks? Are you just beholding yourself? Let me tell you, there's no glory in any of that. When we're looking at the world, when we're just looking at ourselves, that's how we stay stuck. But how we move forward, how we become transformed, how we have this lightness that comes with following Jesus, how we have power, how we get used by the Lord, how we just stay happy, for Pete's sake. get sad sometimes things happen, but stay good. Live the life that Jesus called us to live. It's simply beholding the Lord's glory. Would y'all stand with me? I want to put this into practice, end with a little bit of beholding. Jesus, you know, he went on from this. He got back down the mountain. He stopped glowing, um, and he went and he died, but he rose again, and this is where he is now. This is what he is now, back to normal Jesus. A sharp two edged sword, and from his face the sun, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is Jesus. This is the normal Jesus. And he reigns today. And this is what heaven sings out. Uh, I'm going to read the not bold part. You guys read the bold part with me, okay? Jesus went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying... Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, is the who is slain to power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and grace. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them saying this is jesus let's Amen. behold him let's worship him